Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, nearly 10,000 Minnesotans have violated the new hands-free law. A primer on the St. Paul Winter Carnival and a Detroit Lakes author has a new book out chronicling decades of disappointments in Minnesota sports. But first... Some perennial issues such as abortion and guns are starting to resurface at the state capitol in the run-up to the 2020 legislative session during this election year. MNN's Bill Werner is here with more on that. But first, I know, Bill, you want to recap what could have even more impact than either of those issues on the 2020 elections, namely the impeachment of President Trump. Scott, most analysts predict acquittal will be the outcome of the impeachment trial that began this week in the Senate. But the political ramifications are far from predictable, both in the presidential election as well as in Congress and even the Minnesota legislature. As the impeachment trial opened this week, the overriding question is, will witnesses be allowed? Republicans who control the Senate, at least initially, have said no. Lead House impeachment manager, California Representative Adam Schiff, responded. If you only get to see part of the evidence, if you only allow one side or the other a chance to present their full case, your verdict will be predetermined. But the president's attorney, Pat Cipollone, told senators it's a fair way to proceed, noting that the House... They have delayed bringing this impeachment to this House for 33 days, and it's time to start with this trial. Among those on the jury in the president's impeachment trial is Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, who told CNN... You can't have a trial without witnesses and without evidence. And zero witnesses plus zero documents equals zero justice. The trial began with the prosecution, House Democrats, presenting their case. Congressman Schiff. President Trump solicited foreign interference in our Democratic elections, abusing the power of his office to seek help from abroad to improve his re-election prospects. Back in Minnesota at a pro-life rally at the state capitol, 8th District Republican Congressman Pete Stauber's take on the proceedings in D.C. For the first time in our country's history, there's a partisan impeachment going on. It's a sad day for our country. Republican Jason Lewis, the former congressman who's now running for U.S. Senate, says about the senator he's challenging, Democrat Tina Smith. I don't know why she's clamoring for witnesses. She's already decided that she's not going to vote to acquit. She's already said she supports the House impeachment effort. So that just shows you what what a sham it really is. Senator Smith responds. I raised my right hand and pledged an oath on the floor of the Senate that I would provide impartial justice according to the Constitution and the laws, and I fully intend to do that. I have not made up my mind about how I will vote in this trial of impeachment. I think that it is a good thing that the House has brought all of this information forward, and now it is up to the Senate to provide impartial justice, and that's what I'm doing right now. Also this week... Thousands on the steps of the state capitol, marking the 47th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion. We implore you of your mercy to forgive us and our land, to turn hard hearts in repentance and faith. More than 60 million unborn children have been killed in the United States. 
including about 650,000 here in Minnesota. Pro-life groups want a ban on what are called late-term abortions and are also asking the legislature to ensure that women have the option to view their ultrasound prior to undergoing abortion. Governor Tim Walz indicated this week he does not support either measure. I trust women to make their own health care decisions. I always have. That seems to work out really well, both from a constitutional perspective and a health perspective. I'll pray for the governor that his heart would be changed. Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka. And Senate Republicans took the debate over Minnesota's gun laws on the road this week. For a field hearing in Hibbing, Senate Majority Leader Gazelka saying... Typically, they're always in, in Minneapolis-St. Paul, and you'd, you have a much higher number of people from Minneapolis-St. Paul. But what do the people in outstate think as well? Well, in Hibbing, that's a bunch of <laughs> as far as I'm <laughs> 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 Sir, sir... We're trying to have a public meeting here. That came before testimony by Duluth Police Chief Mike Tuscan on a universal background check bill the Democrats are proposing. Routine background checks are critical to public safety by limiting access to weapons by dangerous people. But Dan from Hibbing told lawmakers universal background checks or a red flag law won't, as he puts it, make an ounce of difference to criminals or terrorists. I mean, who it's hurting are people everyday, good, hardworking people. Um, ma'am, you're out of, you're out of order, ma'am. Let her talk. She's an American. Let her speak. Outbursts punctuated the five-hour-long hearing. St. Louis Park Democrat Ron Latz telling opponents he's not trying to register guns. Lay your worries to rest because you can't conceive that out of any of the bills. No, I heard that. I'm not lying. Try reading the bill. Alexandria Republican Bill Ingebrigtsen warned. Senator Latz, the, the old making adjustments to the bill is something that, um, similar to getting the, you know, putting the uh, camel's nose under the tent. Before that stormy field hearing in Hibbing, Senate GOP Majority Leader Gazelka told a group in Wilmer. We are not doing red flag laws and we're not doing universal background checks. At the same time, Governor Walls called Republicans push for permitless carry and stand your ground legislation both bad ideas. Allowing people to carry firearms anywhere from church to the gas station to the Capitol and then allowing people to shoot first and ask questions later is probably a recipe for really, really bad societal outcomes. Folks on both sides of the aisle say there are areas of possible compromise, but some analysts predict with the two most powerful people in Minnesota government taking the stances that they are, prospects are not good for getting much done on the gun issue in the 2020 legislative session. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound, chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, oh, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one.
Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A significant number of Minnesota drivers are having a hard time putting away their phones when they're behind the wheel. That's just six months after the hands-free law went into effect statewide. I spoke with Mike Hansen with the Department of Public Safety for an update. We're just, uh, our message is very simple and very straightforward. Park the phone. It's time for all Minnesotans to make a good decision when you get behind the wheel. Pay attention to that critical driving task and park the phone. When we do that, everybody will safely get from point A to point B, and uh, we can eliminate unnecessary and completely preventable fatal and serious injury crashes. And Mike, you mentioned we're kind of at about the six-month mark. Uh, where do we stand here as a state in terms of drivers who have been cited? How many, and uh, you know, is it good news or bad news? Oh, I think you know you could uh, look at it both ways. The fact that nine thousand seven hundred and twenty-seven citations have been issued uh, it tells us that that there are a number of Minnesotans out there who did not get the message and who have not gotten the message that it's time to park the phone and pay attention to that driving task. Uh, on the other hand, um, I think that, that that bodes well for our future. Uh, if we you know, compare this to other significant changes in our traffic law, like the primary seatbelt law, or even looking at, at how we've handled impaired driving over the last 20 or 30 years, it's not unusual to see that uptick in that enforcement right after the law goes into effect, as everybody still is trying to, to learn it and figure it out and so forth, but uh, we look for that trend to be uh, downward in the long term. So it's still very early for us to take any kind of statistical uh, analysis from what we're seeing out there uh, based on the enforcement, but our uh, preliminary uh, look at the crash statistics is encouraging. So that's what we're focusing on. With more than 9,500 citations, which age group has really the most problem with this particular new law? Well, it tends to be, you know, pretty distributed. You know, it, it, it's um, kind of across the board. But if we look at one specific demographic, it's that 30 to 49-year-old age group uh, that uh, was overrepresented, I guess, in the statistics when it comes to the number of citations issued. But if we also look at that age group, they're the ones that have probably adapted to the technology uh, as much as any other age group, uh, and so therefore they're more comfortable and more likely to engage with that device, perhaps when they shouldn't. And it's my understanding, uh, Mike, that we've got folks who say that they are aware of the law, that they know about it, but that they are having a hard time breaking the habit. What sort of advice would you have for those folks? Obviously, they're sort of willfully breaking the law. Uh, That's a great point, Scott. And talking with many of our our law enforcement partners out there, that is a very common theme that officers, troopers, and deputies are hearing out there. People know what the law is. They know what they're doing is wrong. But it's a very hard habit to break. And so it, it just takes time. And for those who are having that, that really hard time, there's two options. There's the trunk and the glove compartment. You can put that phone away so that it's nowhere near you uh, and you're not tempted to be distracted by it. Uh, others, you know, you just need to figure out what the option is that allows you to utilize that device either in a hands-free or single-touch uh, way. And, you know, officers are seeing a lot more uh, phones being mounted and, and things like that, and folks who are interacting with those 
in a legal manner. But what we also encourage everybody to do is really ask yourself, is this interaction with this electronic device so important that I'm going to distract myself even just a little bit from that critical driving task and put myself and everybody else on the road in danger? None of us sets out with the intention of causing a crash, but we work with a lot of folks, including offenders out there, and nobody wants to be that one. And so that's what you have to ask yourself if you're going to interact with that device, is I don't want to be that one. And Mike, if you could, if you don't mind, can you uh, refresh my memory on what the penalty is for a first-time offender? For a first-time offender, the uh, expect to pay the fine uh, and the surcharges in the area of $120 to $130. And then remember, this is one of those unique laws that has a graduated fine structure. So for second and subsequent offenses, those fines and court fees are going to be well over $300. So it gets to be very expensive very quickly. All right, very good. Good information, Mike. Anything else you wanted to touch upon that I did not ask you about? No, it's just uh, we're really encouraging everybody, park the phone. If you see somebody uh, who is driving or doing something when they shouldn't be, speak up, uh, have them park the phone, and remember that seatbelt. For those few folks out there who still haven't gotten the message about driving carefully and parking that phone, that seatbelt is your best defense. And so we're always encouraging folks uh, to make sure that that's on before the car goes into gear. Thank you to my guest, Mike Hansen, with the Department of Public Safety. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The St. Paul Winter Carnival is underway, and it's the perfect event for Minnesota families. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. Now through Sunday, February 2nd, hundreds of events will be taking place in and around Rice Park in St. Paul. And did you know the annual Winter Carnival is 134 years old? Joining me to talk about the Winter Carnival is spokesman Nick Cusick, who tells me the event is important to all of St. Paul. It, it certainly is. Uh, it's it's a big event in that uh, there's a lot of lot of planning. There's a lot of pieces. There's a lot of people involved that make it happen every year. Um, but it's a big event because of uh, how unique it is to our city and our destination. Obviously, it's it's been happening for uh, 134 years, and so there there's not too many events out there that can say that. And there's not uh, there's not as many that have uh, such unique history with. Not only the, the the festival itself, but then kind of the legend and the characters and all all the other pieces that go uh, along with Winter Carnival, and so it it certainly is a big big event for St. Paul. And you know, when we talk about it being uh, such a community event, uh, obviously a number of the I guess events are kind of centered around Rice Park. But do we see um, I guess visitors that come in from out state also branch off into other areas of the community? You know that that's certainly the hope. We we don't, uh, in particular, have any way to to track that for from you know most events that happen in the city. And you were talking a little bit about the history and and that the the festival itself is 134 years old. How did this really all start? Yeah, it's uh, you know there's people who are are even more knowledgeable uh, certainly on, on the history of it than I am. But uh, um, as sort of the the um, well-known story goes there was a uh, a 
writer from New York who came and, and experienced St. Paul and, and went back and kind of described St. Paul as, uh, as uh, Siberia and that it was unfit for human habitation. And, and so the response from the community was uh, to sort of show them that, um, that that's not the case. In fact, we, we love winter, we embrace winter, and, and so Winter Carnival was born and uh, been celebrating uh, and embracing the season for, for 134 years. And when we talk about the events, obviously this festival runs, uh, you know, kicking off uh, on Thursday and running all the way through February. I think it was the second or third. Um, lots of different activities. Are there any that seem to draw bigger crowds than others? Sure, there. There's definitely some that are, you know, a little more well known throughout the history. Uh, certainly, the two parades are 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 going to do that, and that's being the Grand Day Parade and the Vulcan Victory uh, Torchlight Parade. Those are, those are two well-known, long-running parades, uh, and, and that draw a lot of people. Um, but there, there's you know, m- many other pieces that, that will draw crowds, and, and even, even just the, the, uh, certainly through the weekends when the weather cooperates, which it looks like we have a fantastic forecast, uh, you can expect big crowds to come down to Rice Park just, just to see the live music and experience the... Um, the warming house uh, atmosphere as well at Landmark Plaza this year, which is brand new, uh, and it's going to be really exciting. And lastly, uh, who do you really encourage? I mean, is, would you say would you say that it's fair that this is a uh, an event for all ages? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It is. It is a uh, a family focused uh, event um, without a doubt. And and if you go to the Winter Carnival website and you look at at the the whole range of events, which um, there's probably to to most people there's a lot more there than than you would ever think, and you will see that um, by the diversity of the events and and all the different locations, different activities, that there's there's truly something for for everyone in the family, and and it's going to be a family pleaser, without a doubt. All right. Well, those are all the questions that I had today. Anything else you wanted to add, Nick? No, uh, nothing particular. Just appreciate your time and and interest in highlighting Carnival, even though it's been going on for 134 years. It's always great to make sure that we talk about it, and uh, and that only helps encourage uh, new, new people, whether they um, just don't have a history with Carnival or maybe people that have moved to the area that aren't originally from here to get to know it and, and, and learn to love it just like uh, uh, the rest of us have for so long. Thanks again to Nick Cusick, spokesman for the St. Paul Winter Carnival. For more information on events surrounding the Winter Carnival, you can head online to wintercarnival.com. Again, that's wintercarnival.com. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Up next, Mike Grimm talks with the Detroit Lakes author of a book chronicling decades of Minnesota sports teams' disappointments. When Minnesota Matters continues. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes, How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single, 
boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. There's a new sports book out that chronicles the pain of the long-suffering Minnesota sports fan. Zeke Furman is a radio personality in Detroit Lakes and authored the brand new book called Land of 10,000 Aches. Available at Amazon. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm talked to Furman about the book. Well, Zeke, let's talk about this book, Land of 10,000 Aches, and I think it's a fun book in this sense. Most books that talk about moments in sports talk about the great moments in sports, but anyone who has spent time here in the state of Minnesota knows that uh, some of those moments are few and far between. So take me through the idea and talk us through the book a little bit. Yeah, so 10,000 Aches, what it is, is it there's a lot of great moments in Minnesota sports, don't get me wrong, but I feel like as Minnesota sports fans, one thing that we've become known for is, okay, when is the bottom going to fall out? When, what's the next big kick we're going to miss? What's the draft pick that we miss on? And what 10,000 makes is, is it goes back to 1948, uh, the worst of the worst moments in Minnesota sports, beginning in 1948 uh, with Coach John Wooden and how he wanted to come to Minnesota, was expecting a phone call and a job offer from Minnesota, but a snowstorm prevented the athletic director at the time from getting a hold of John Wooden, and instead, uh, an hour after he was supposed to get a phone call from, from Minnesota, accepted the job with UCLA, and we all know uh, what happened with John Wooden, exploded one of the greatest college coaches of all time. And, and it kind of trickles off from there, from, from, from the John Wooden story, uh, through some of the Gopher hockey teams of the 1950s, and not being able to win the big championship game, uh, enter the, the, the Vikings and the Twins coming in the 1965 World Series in Sandy Koufax. And, of course, the, the Minneapolis Lakers leaving in 1960. Uh, and then the Vikings Super Bowl losses in the 70s. And then uh, the rebuilding years for the Twins of the 1970s and the 1990s. And just a, a whole bunch of, of, of fun stuff. And it, the, the, the fun part for me is, is everyone knows uh, the big things, the, the NFC Championship game losses, uh, things like that. But it's, it's the small things that I found while I was doing this research for the book. Like one thing that stood out to me was in 1972, September 1972, the Twins had a doubleheader against the Oakland Athletics. Uh, and in the first game of the doubleheader, Burt Blylevin had thrown 10.1 innings of scoreless baseball. And he, he's still pitching, gives up a walk-off hit to Sal Bando in game one. Game two, uh, Sal Bando again walks off for the Oakland Athletics in Game 2. So the only player in, in, in Twins history to have this, the same player walk off both games of a doubleheader. It's just little, little fun nuggets like that in this book. Yeah, how did you, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, there are uh, some of the famous ones, a couple of missed field goals in the postseason for the Vikings uh, and, and a lot of that. But as you mentioned, uh, like Sal Bando, how did you research the book to find some of those really intriguing nuggets that um, some people might remember and say, oh, I do remember that, or others might say, man, that happened as well? Yeah, it started on, on the back of a napkin at a bar uh, five years ago is where this book started. And then it's kind of talking to different people and, and relatives and, and sports fans here in the Detroit Lakes area. That's where I'm from. And everyone has that, that, that moment that they, that they remember. And it's, it's from the big things to the little things, a, a lot of my research came actually from uh, newspaper articles. Uh, 
Ancestry.com is a really nice spin-off website called newspapers.com, and any newspaper that was ever published uh, back, I think that the first issue of the Star Tribune was published back in like 1867, May of 1867. So you can go all the way back, and so you can go back to, to 1991, uh, and you can read about uh, the North Stars being two wins away from the Stanley Cup championship against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and what the media at the time was thinking, and plan the parade route and all these quotes that they were having, and then, of course, uh, Pittsburgh rattled off three straight wins to, to win the Stanley Cup, including, I believe, an 8 to nothing victory in, in Game 6, the largest uh, clinching game in Stanley Cup history. Uh, interviews when the North Stars left in, in, in 1993 with a lot of the guys there. And that, 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 that's a, a, a huge part of this, was uh, reliving these moments that I'm, I'm too young to remember, and that happened way before I was born, through the media that were experiencing it at the time and getting their, their raw emotion and reaction to the things that were happening. The book is called Land of 10,000 Aches, obviously a play on the state slogan, Land of 10,000 Lakes. Um, give us a little background on you. You mentioned you're from Detroit Lakes. Uh, I know you're a radio personality, uh, personality there on one of our affiliates from the Minnesota News Network. Uh, tell us about yourself a little bit. Yep, so uh, born and raised in, in Staples, Minnesota. I uh, went to college down in the cities at the University of Northwestern. St. Paul is Northwestern College back then. And that's kind of where I, I, I really fell in love uh, with sports. Like, I was, I was a sports fan through, through middle school, through high school. Uh, but being, I, I called games for the Northwestern Eagles uh, in college and kind of had my love of sports grow there. Uh, I did some writing for the, for, for the college newspaper. I've done some writing for Bleacher Report. Ultimately, uh, fell into radio where I do uh, mornings on Wave 104.1 out of Detroit Lakes. And then we have a, a show on, on KDLM, which has been broadcasting in Detroit Lakes since 1951, called The Sports Wrap. And I do middays. I'm able to do uh, color commentary for the Detroit Lakes Lakers football team, uh, fill in for basketball and baseball every once in a while, too. And a, a very rich sports history around the Lakes area, of course, uh, the home to uh, Adam Thielen as well. A lot of Adam Thielen fans up here. There is a, a couple Adam Thielen mentions in my book as well, like the, you go back to the 2017 NFC Championship game where we know Adam missed a lot of time this year with that hamstring injury. Adam actually played in that NFC Championship game against the Eagles with a broken back. And so a lot of little, little, little fun things like that uh, in this book. But, yeah, I, I love radio. I, I love sports. And, and this book kind of the culmination of that. The book came out in December. Tell us uh, how it's been going and how um, our listeners can get their hands on a copy of this book. And it's, it's a good-sized book. Unfortunately, it means there's been a lot of, uh, of uh, down, gut-wrenching moments in, in Minnesota sports history, but over 400 pages. It is, yeah. It's uh, it begins in 1948 and goes all the way through uh, the final Gopher regular season game this year against Wisconsin, where if the Gophers would have won that game, they would have a, a legit chance to go to the first Rose Bowl since the early 1960s. It actually ends in a great way because I think uh, PJ Fleck had the quote: uh, "We need to change the mentality around Minnesota. Everyone expects the worst. Everyone expects us to lose. We need to change the culture. We need to change the climate here." Of Minnesota, so that's how the book ends. A little spoiler alert there, but it, it goes to 1948 through things that happened two months ago in this book. You're able to order it online uh, at landof10,000acres.com. It's also available on Amazon as well. Very good. Well, we appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to uh, getting my hands on a copy as well. I've obviously read through the publicity uh, material, and it looks awesome. I can't wait to uh, to put my eyes on the on the pages. Thank you so much, Zeke. Anytime. Thank you, Mike. That's MN Sports Director Mike Grimm with Zeke Furman, author of the new book entitled Land of 10,000 Aches.
And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.